When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey, this is Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. History in five songs with host Martin Popoff, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Martin Popoff here, back again for another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. This episode is uh, episode 127. We're calling it British Metal in the 90s. This started uh, with a conversation I had in Facebook Messenger with Niall Parkinson um we you know he asked me hey have you heard of uh have, have you heard much of Lionsheart and then uh you know it got into a discussion of Lionsheart and Lionheart and then I thought well maybe I've got an episode here on um new wave of British heavy metal guys moving on in life and either having success with their new wave of British heavy metal band or not. And then I started, you know, positing that there weren't too many that went on to do much. We had Terraplane turning into Thunder. We had Phil Lewis going from Girl uh, over to the States uh, with LA Guns. Um, You know, we had the continued success of Motorhead and Saxon and Iron Maiden and Def Leppard, you know, but none of these particularly creatively great after the new wave of British heavy metal you know certainly I would say the best in there would be Motorhead although they made some of their worst albums in the uh, late 80s into the early 90s um 
you know, you know what I think about Def Leppard after Pyromania, basically. And we had a sister episode a little bit like this uh, called uh, Best New uh, New Wave of British Heavy Metal Bands Now, episode 122, where we talked about the likes of Tokyo Blade, Angel Witch, um, Satan I left out of that, but uh, but I talked about Iron Maiden and, and Leopard and that. But I wanted to talk about kind of a happy place with British metal rather than always railing on about how, you know, things didn't quite work out and British metal never had this reascendance uh, sort of situation after the glory of the new wave of British heavy metal years. Um, so what happened? So this this is British metal in the 90s, this episode. And again, uh, I guess... I guess the theme of this episode more than anything is that happy place and excitement we had, uh, you know, Tim Henderson and Aaron Small and Mark Groman and Carl Bagai and myself and Chris Bruni, you know, uh, uh, running and writing for Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles starting in May of 1994. We went all the way up to 2008. But those exciting early years from 94, uh, you know, to the end of 2000, which British bands were we talking about a lot and which British bands were we excited about? So I wanted to pick you know my my usual five examples here as we do in this uh, in this show um so five examples of uh, of bands uh, we or myself more personally were excited about and a little bit about them and i've got some honor, honorable mentions later on but again what i liked about this is that this is when british bands uh, kind of got the integrity back. They're not. They're not still biting on the new wave of British heavy metal. They aren't thunder. They aren't trying to be a hair metal band. You know, even worse, London Choir Boys, um, and uh, you know. Okay, one of my honor honor of my, let's let's mention this. So one of one of my. Uh, honorable mentions at the end is Cradle of Filth. It's one of the bands I wanted to include in here because they were a huge band for Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles. And I guess they were sort of a top shelf, top tier uh, black metal band. But again, it's a little bit of a derivative thing. I think what we're going to talk about here are bands that have a lot of cre uh, creative integrity and a lot of British creative integrity. You know, I love my British bands. Um, you know, someone pointed out to me once that most of the bands I've ever written books on are, are are from Britain. Pretty interesting. Um, you know, I didn't really realize that until I start in, until I started really adding them up. But um, the other cool thing about this episode is that everything we're going to talk about here, uh, every band we're going to talk about, is not from London. They're from all over Britain, so they have even more Britishness, I, I suppose, in in a, in a certain way of being uh, away from, uh, you know. I, I suppose London has more uh, Western or American influence um, than these these other places. So you get the idiosyncrat idiosync. Okay, forget it. <laughs> of of uh, of that of these regions, perhaps. And again, a lot of Britishness. I love British TV and British movies and all this British music. Um, I, I mean. Um, movies, uh, castles. I used to watch a lot of castle shows. Uh, so anyways, yeah, let's, uh, let's get started here and we'll discuss a little further, uh, as we go. Um, Actually, no, let's not get started here because I think the first thing I want to mention is that, so we're, we're starting this magazine in, in 94, 95, 96. I read one thing on the internet that, that talked a little bit about, um, uh, Ca uh, Castle Donington, Monst Monsters of Rock 96. And at this time, there was this sort of hopeful feeling that there could be a renaissance of British metal. Um, and, uh, and, and basically the point was that 
Uh, at the same time, we had a very heavy Britpop scene uh, that, that was sort of all the rage, Oasis, you know, being the biggest band from that. And then just as perhaps there might have been some sort of renaissance for British metal, new metal hit, and new metal was an, was an absolutely huge thing, but it was a very American thing. It was, uh, it was pretty... It was pretty California based again, just like hair metal was. And, uh, and it had those, those, uh, heavy rap and hip hop elements to it, which, which is, you know, very much an American thing. So Britain was kind of shut out again. And, and really there hasn't been this big British revival thing, but a few of the things we're going to talk about here have, have an element of that to it. All right. Let's, let's play our first one here. This is a real personal choice. Um, take a listen to this. This is Skyclad with Bury Me. All right, Skyclad, uh, the awesome Martin Walkier. Walk, Walkier. Uh, I've never known how to pronounce it. I've interviewed him before, uh, maybe maybe a couple, maybe three times. This is from Vintage Wine, nineteen ninety nine. You know, in a, in a sense, this is a band that does have those roots in the new wave of British heavy metal because you've got Steve Ramsey from Satan. Uh, there's a transitory band in the middle here. Again, these guys are from Newcastle, but you had the transitory transitory band in Savat. Andy Sneap, of course, is famous for. Coming from that band, the guitarist, he's now a you know a top shelf producer. Judas Priest, except, um, but Martin was on the first two Sabbat albums and not the last one. All three of them are really really cool, and uh, and they were a cool creative British band. They were kind of like thrash mixed with a little bit of death, mixed mixed with some new wave of British heavy metal, history of a time to come, all that stuff. Great great stuff. But anyways, uh, Skyclad forms. Um, they put out a lot of albums. Again, we're talking about British metal in the 90s. So in the 90s, man, they had the Wayward Sons of Mother Earth, a burnt offering for the Bone Idol, Jonah's Ark, uh, Prince of the Poverty Line, the Silent Wales of Lunar Sea, Irrational Anthems, We Avant Garde a Chance, The Answer Machine with question mark, Vintage Wine, uh, which you heard from here. And then they move on. Martin leaves the band, um, but you know, he he's sort of the mainstay through this very, very prolific uh 90s period. Of course, what are they? They are essentially considered a folk metal band. They're almost like a at in the in the uh original sense, they were almost like a lighter version of Sabbat. Um but the big thing with this band is they had this pervasive violin. Uh, now you could call it violin, you could call it fiddle, because with Skyclad, it's kind of it's kind of a um, you know the the big joke is always it's the same instrument. It just depends what kind of music you're playing, kind of thing. But but the funny thing about Skyclad is there's a there's kind of like a Celtic fiddle element to it more than a violin element I guess uh, as things go on you had Fritha Jenkins 91 to 93 Kath Howell 93 to 94 but the big one was uh Georgina Biddle since 94 and still on the later um you know post Martin albums you know this band is very famous for um 
for Martin's puns. Uh, you know, many, many, many sort of puns and and a lot of wordplay in the in the lyrics and the titles. Really good lyrics. Very, very, um, you know, sociological, societal, uh, economic, even. Um, and and they are an interesting mix of again the folk and the metal. A little bit proggy. Try a lot of different things, but they were never a very big band. So, so honestly, I mean, this was out of everybody we're going to talk about. This is the one that's more, like I say, the personal choice, uh, because you know, even though we cover them all the time in Brave Words, um, uh, this this is more one that I really liked uh, quite a bit. Um, uh, yeah, so let's move on. Uh, let's play the second one, and this is a band that we were all excited about. Take a listen to this. This is Cathedral with Utopian Blaster. All right, the immense cathedral. Uh, probably, you know, part. I, I would say, I would say, tied for, or let's say, second, the second greatest doom band of all time after Trouble. I would say Trouble, Cathedral, uh, then maybe Candlemass, Witchfinder General fits in here as well, and there's obviously the flood of uh, of all the bands that that make up the the doom category. But Cathedral were early; they have those uh, very you know creative integrity roots in in punk and hardcore. There's there's the kind of overlap with Napalm Death, uh, but they become this awesome awesome doom band who who can who can put together a heavy metal shuffle better than black sabbath even could like when cathedral all the recordings were going right and lee dorian's you know strangely chaotic anarchic slightly out of tune uh vocals that are not an aussie vocal at all so they they didn't try to ape aussie in the vocals but you know the music can be very sabbath like but they were also very creative they loved their doom and they stuck right to it so they were almost like a new doom proposition we loved them at brave words they're from coventry uh england so middle of the country so all, almost like a a midlands band i suppose a birmingham band um the mainstays, of course, were Lee Dorian, who went on to, you know, start Rise Above Records. Kind of a reclusive guy. Uh, Leo Smee on bass was sort of the main bass guy over the years. Gary Jennings, guitar, Brian Dixon, drums. Uh, but, you know, the early stuff is is a little uh, less uh, easy to love. Forest of Equilibrium, 1991. The Ethereal Mirror, 93. Carnival Bazaar is when I think it really starts getting into the classic era, and that's why I wanted to pick Utopian Blaster from this. I think I did a Cathedral track, Vampire Sun maybe, uh, on a previous episode. Um, Supernatural Birth Machine, I think things get a little weird there. This might be where they're... Uh, the idea, a lot of these bands, a lot of any metal bands, tried some new things, uh, you know, going a little grunge or alternative or, I don't know, new metal, industrial. All these all these different things were um, were tried by various metal bands over time. Uh, and uh, a Caravan Beyond Redemption is the last one of the 90s. Uh, what this episode is talking about, episode 127, British Metal in the 90s. Um, but, uh, 
End Time 2001, The Seventh Coming 2002, all this great David Patchett, uh, yeah, that's right, David Patchett artwork on these records. So it has a real British, uh, you know, fairy king sort of, um, you know, uh, fantasy illustration feel to it. Everything about this band is really British. The hammer horror thing, uh, the idea that doom, you know, comes from Black Sabbath, from Birmingham, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the Garden of Earthly Delights, 2005, The Guessing Game, 2010, The Last Spire, 2013. But yeah, those those middle albums and then kind of a, a rebirth, I think, around, uh, you know, Seventh Coming is certainly a very utilitar- utilitarian uh, cathedral album. Love this band to death. Play them a lot uh, on, uh, you know, I've got my two, I've talked about my two uh, fully filled iPod classics with mostly 5,000 different albums on each one. Kind of cool. Um, but there's a lot of Cathedral on there and I play Cathedral all the time. I love the recordings, crushing recordings, sounds great in the car, uh, which actually is a British car, of course, as well, uh, that uh, I do have a Cooper Mini um 2017 white five door um but uh but yeah a, a killer stereo in that and this is my first car without a cd player so this is one where i actually do plug in my ipod classic uh to, to play stuff and cathedral just sounds absolutely crushing all the time that super tight high snare sound and those cymbals just you know wailing away the whole time and and lee sounding like you know on the edge of a breakdown uh, all the time um okay there you go let's take a short break we'll be right back back again here history and five songs with martin popoff episode 127 british metal in the 90s we're looking at the high points of uh of uh you know the happy place of of you know the, this patchy British history when it comes to heavy metal, uh, really right until this day. I mean, obviously there's going to be lots and lots of British metal bands, but there was never really a, a truly magical period in British metal since, uh, since the demise of the new wave of British heavy metal in around 1983. Right. Um, okay. Let's take a listen to our third selection. This is Napalm Death with Greed Killing. All right, so Napalm Death. Wow, Diatribes 96, I think, is where it really kind of uh, picks up for uh, our excitement uh, around the magazine uh, with with Napalm Death. The recordings get better. It gets a little more accessible, a little more proggy, a little more straightforward heavy metal. There's this, um, and then again, they're from uh, Meriden, West Midlands, so they're essentially a Birmingham band. Um you know, the mainstays here are uh, Mark Barney, Greenway, right? Uh, Shane Embry, guitarist Mitch Harris, guitar uh, uh, drummer Danny Herrera. You know, and I'm sitting here on a pile of, uh, I've got a pile of Napalm Death fully signed CDs um, because they they came by Toronto quite often. I mean, I've even got Jesse Pintado on all these. Sadly, we lost Jesse. Jesse, a little bit of a Jeff Hanneman story there, essentially drank himself to death, uh, unfortunately. Um, but he was in Lockup and Terrorizer and uh, Brujera, all all these different bands, right? Um, but they had this golden period, Napal- Napalm Death did. Uh, you know, this is one of those bands, I may do an episode on this one day. It's a combination of 
this uh, this concept of retirement bands and bands that I could I could say I'm going to get obsessed about and play a lot and they might actually change my personality a little bit. Napalm Death is one of those bands. Uh, there's not too many of them. Voivod is another one. But I can see I've often you know thought when I play Napalm Death on the on mostly again the uh, the iPod Classics or uh, in the car, I think wow I I could I could spend the next six months listening to nothing about Nap uh, nothing but Napalm Death. This is a band that I don't play as much as Cathedral, but I feel like there's way more to get into because they have such a long history of albums and greatness, and they really put a lot of work into what they do. The lyrics are really thoughtful and intelligent. Um, they've got that really strong, uh, cool, hardcore sense of uh, integrity that's brought into what they do. They're challenging. They're just a really cool band in every way. Out of every band on this list, this is the one that I kind of slap myself and say, I should be listening to a lot more Napalm Death uh, in my life. Um, but yeah, so Scum 87 from Enslavement to uh, Obliteration 88, Harmony Corruption 90, Utopia Banished 92, Fear, Emptiness, Despair, 94. I mean, that's, I guess, kind of where it starts because I really find that early stuff way too uh, extreme and inaccessible. But yeah, this diatribes inside the torn apart, words from the exit wound, this this late 90s sort of trilogy. Uh, love those records. And then and then it continues on and it's, it's all great stuff. Enemy of the music business. You know, in the 2000s, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, sort of eight, nine albums. Um, Lots and lots of of, uh, of great, uh, you know, substantial material to get into uh, from this band. So love Napalm Death, uh, but I do really feel like I haven't really listened to them uh, nearly as much as I should. All right, let's move on. Uh, take a listen to our fourth selection here. This is Paradise Lost with Hallowed Land. <laughs> All right, so it's interesting here. Just like um, just like Napalm Death, um, Paradise Lost and Cathedral, for that matter, Paradise Lost has this long history of um, of real uh, sort of uh, integrity, but hard albums to love because they're just trying to make art. Uh, so, so, um, you know, with, with so much exertion and force, um, but it's a little abstract and a little hard to love and they really don't, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of anti-accessible. So that's what you get on Lost Paradise. This is a, you know, a classic piece built. Peaceville um, Music for Nations band. Lost Paradise 1990, Gothic 91, Shades of God 92, Icon in 93 is where it kind of picks up and by Draconian Times, um, June 12th, 1995, uh, this is what this song is from, Hallowed Land that we just played. They're really starting to get touted as the next Metallica and a little bit like Sentenced actually in that uh, in being touted as the next Metallica, both bands have kind of a uh, a tune challenged, out of tune challenged, not a great ear. Um, 
James Hetfield style voice and here it's Nick Holmes uh, but again it it gives it that charm again just as we talked about with Lee Dorian it gives it that edge where um, you can tell they're not trying to be super super commercial and Paradise Lost frankly was a hard band to love and even though they were so hyped and we all got excited about them and again I'm, I'm sitting on a, on a pile of um, uh, you know, fully signed Paradise Lost CDs because they also uh, came through a lot. We were quite surprised that they were coming through and playing these gigs. Um, but yeah, huge, huge hype on with them. Uh, one, one more thing I want to mention about this idea of um, not trying to be commercial. This is this is the exact same magic you felt with those early EPs from the grunge era, from the likes of Soundgarden, uh, Green River. Um, you know, e- even the Melvin stuff, uh, the early Nirvana stuff. Say, say Bleach. Uh, who am I forgetting? Mud Honey. So there was this idea of of danger and just just like music that can't be put in a in a box. And I don't even mean, I don't even mean a genre box. I mean I mean it's just it's just breaking out. It's wild. It's wild music breaking out wild music. And that that is a, a good way to describe early Napalm Death, early Cathedral, and early Paradise Lost. Um, so of course Paradise Lost. You know, when you get up into this draconian times, you look at the wiki page, it says U.S. sales 19,316. So, um, you know, Paradise Lost never even came uh, close to what you would call remotely breaking in the States, but it does say worldwide 500,000 copies. Icon, worldwide 300,000 copies. Germany, 120,000 copies. So this was a pretty big band in Europe. And as time goes on with uh, with Paradise Lost, uh, you get one second, you get host, and and they're and they're now a band that has been just very very prolific. So so they have gone, they have moved on uh, from this whole idea or, or from this whole this whole magic area that we felt at Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles. Uh, a Halifax, West Yorkshire band, so they're part of this. Uh, <clears throat> you know, if you could say there's any kind of a scene coming uh, up anywhere. Uh, it is a little bit of this doom scene that we get here. And so let's move on to our fifth example here because it is also from the same scene. Take a listen to this. This is My Dying Bride with a Kiss to Remember. All right, so that was from Like Gods of the Sun, October 7th, 96, another Peaceville band from Bradford, West Yorkshire. Uh, my fond memory is seeing these guys do an in-store appearance, of course, courtesy of Tim Henderson. You know, he he got all this happening. Uh, so they did an in-store at HMV, and it's I always liken it to seeing a car in a showroom. It seems bigger than life. You see... My Dying Bride, this big doom band playing uh, in 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 a store in brightness. You know, uh, it 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 was really quite imposing. And then the really cool thing is that, of course, we met them all and we've interviewed them for for ages, and you know, got got a pile of uh, fully signed My Dying Bride stuff as well. But that night, um, you know, they played supporting Dio, and uh, I believe that was the first time I met Ronnie in person. Um, and so we were backstage a lot for for all that, and um, 
And yeah, My Dying Bride supporting Dio in a big club show down at the warehouse. So that's this place with a, with a 2000 capacity. Um, so that was a, that was definitely a fond memory, but the, but the beautiful, you know, the, the sort of very exciting period for this band was this whole, uh, turn loose the swans in 93, the angel in the dark river was a really big moody, you know, creepy. Yeah. This is, this band is known for it's really, really, really slow, almost drone, almost noise rock sort of. Um, velocities again super hard band love a little bit like paradise lost in that respect um but the doomiest of this doom scene and they are known for it ain't fiddle in this case it's violin in this case right so they're known for for the the violin and aaron's really kind of like doomy you know gothic vocals very gothic band i suppose as well uh, so this was like gods of the sun Next, they have the, you know, the somewhat experimental 34.788% dot, 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 complete stupid title. Uh, Light at the end of the world, 99, and then they go into, again, a a pretty prolific period uh, with lots more records to come. But that whole late 90s period for these guys, we loved uh, all that as well. Um, Okay, so there are our examples um, for the the happy period bands of this um, that that we loved from British metal, bands with a lot of integrity, uh, again, not trying to be commercial really in any way, but just being loved because they're cool. We started with Skyclad, Cathedral, Napalm Death, Paradise Lost, and uh, My Dying Bride. A few honorable mentions. Uh, I want to spend a little bit of time here because there are some important ones. Again, Cradle of Filth, again, was a huge band uh, for us all through the through the 90s there. They had uh, The Principle of Evil Made Flesh. Dusk and Her Embrace was sort of the big classic one. Everybody thought, you know, this, again, is kind of like a top flight black metal band, even though all the black metal stuff was sort of, you know, whatever, Norway a little bit of Sweden, a little bit of Finland. Um, but uh, but th- this was the big British, uh, you know, proposition in, uh, in black metal. And then Cruelty and the Beast <clears throat> was another big one. Again, they came through a lot. We sat on the bus with them all the time. Uh, Danny and... Um, Nick Barker. Uh, so, so that's a, that's a big one that really could have made, uh, my, my five. Another big one that could have made the five is Carcass. Uh, I think I, I covered Carcass possibly in a, in a, in a recent episode. Love Carcass. Great band. I love commercial pretty Carcass, as they say. I like Swan Song era Carcass the most, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, they were a huge deal. Bolt Thrower was one that Tim really liked a lot. Tim really loved Bolt, Bolt Thrower. He has more of a death metal knowledge. Um, and, you know, Bolt, Th- Bolt Thrower always struck me a little bit like Six Feet Under. They were kind of a, a tuneful death metal band, I suppose. Another big one was Anathema from Liverpool. And again, that was, uh, you know, a band that was uh, fairly deathy and doomy and then got very proggy as time went on. But they were always lumped in with the Paradise Lost and My Dying Bride crew. Uh, you know, you had the early bits of a doom scene and there were more doom bands later, but Electric Wizard and Solstice. Uh, Bruce Dickinson. There's a there's a '90s British band, although you know there were guys from various countries in in that band. Uh, Wolfsbane, Onslaught was uh, always your token, uh, you know, straightforward uh, big four style thrash, uh, you know, or next four style thrash band that happened to be from Britain. Um, you know, not not the greatest band in the world, I suppose. Benediction and Cancer, a little more death there. Pitch Shifter was kind of a big thing going for a while. 
you know, a little bit of that extreme metal industrial sort of feel to them. Acid Rain, Zentrix. Now I'm really kind of getting to the bottom of it. You, you see what I mean, though? There's There just wasn't much of a British scene uh, really post-1983. There was... There was the, the 80s were pretty much non-existent you know later you had dragon force you know they were our token power metal band right uh is starting the early 2000s from the uk so you had these little little token bands that were that were in certain fields as you went on but like i say the whole theme of this show is that there were these bands with total integrity and a real british feel about them for various reasons the celtic the doom the the classical um you know the the hardcore you know british heart remember british hardcore is is different than american hardcore uh it went from you know perhaps something like uk uh, UK subs and other kind of blues into Oi, Cockney rejects and all that. You had a hardcore thing going on. You had a very political thing. So that so that begat uh, this idea of early early cathedral or or napalm death, uh, for example. Um, so so you have you have these British traditions, I guess, is what I'm trying to say uh, in these various uh, um, you know places. Um, there you go. That's it. Um, go go try out some of this British stuff if you like the show and want to support future episodes. Please. Go to Kofi rhymes with no fee uh, dot com slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button and buy me a coffee or a pint. Uh, I didn't do the ask this week because I was away, but um, you, the, you you guys showed up, which is awesome. Thank you very much. Um, and on that front, I would like to thank Joe Becht at Bel Air Expediting, Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, Bruce Campbell, Simon Cole, Don the Chaldean, very generous. Uh, please take a break. Tim Derling, David Fisher, Jim. Jeremy French, Darren Kasabowski, Jason Leonard, Neil Miller, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, Steve Polari, Brian Sager, Andrew Smith, Aaron Steelman, and Robert Yates. Uh, you can go to martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. Uh, like I say, uh, the Max Webster is back in stock and going fast. I think I'm well over half through that reprint. Probably won't reprint again. Um, Flaming Telepaths is still around. I'm threatening to do another one. I'm surprised how much of a hit that's been, but that continues to sell. So I did a small uh, reprint of that. That's my imagining kind of kind of like an occult timeline uh, extension of the Imagino Saga Blue Oyster Cult, of course. Unchained is back, uh, the Van Halen book. Uh, I got a few copies of the Yes. The Merciful Fate book got a reprint. I've got about 15. Uh, how many do I have? Probably not 15, probably more like... 10 or 8 left of the Nazareth. And I think um, this week coming up, I know you're not supposed to talk about time in these things, but uh, I'm excited about the um, the Hawkwind uh, visual biography uh, coming in from uh, from Jerry and uh, and Gary over there at Weimer. Um, so that's all happening. Um, so yeah, lots of things actually in stock at this point. I'm kind of surprised. You got to scroll all the way down on that uh, on that martinpopoff.com to see uh, all the books. But uh, yeah, many of them are back in stock. There you go. Um, go relive all this British metal in the 90s if you must. I know it's mostly a very depressing, depressing uh canon that we've talked about here with all that doom but uh there is some great material there until next time go play some british metal find all of our shows notes social and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts all songs can be found for purchase on itunes spotify or google play please purchase these great and important tracks 
Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.